The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Germ Warfare is Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I'm in a good mood. I'm in a good mood. It's the start of the week. It's Monday. I'm here with uh, Joel and Alex. Uh, this was a great weekend. South African Drikas Duplessis, otherwise known as Stillnox, is the middleweight UFC world champion. What a great fight that was. Alex, did you watch it? No, you probably didn't. It was outstanding. Uh, he went He went against uh, Sean Strickland, five rounds. Previously, uh, Drikas has never gone past three rounds, and uh, they thought that he wasn't going to make it because he, he tends to get tired. And he went all the way to the end of the fifth round, and he beat Sean Strickland. But it was such a such a close fight. Uh, really, really happy to see Drigas winning. But I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been unhappy had uh, had Sean won because he is fantastic uh, when he <laughs> when he speaks to the media. I highly recommend go onto YouTube, type in Sean Strickland, and uh, go listen to what he says to some of the journalists who try to gotcha him uh, with transgender LGBTQ nonsense. He just takes them down, and then even better is when uh, Donna White, who's the UFC boss, <laughs> uh, comes in and uh, also uh, piles onto the uh, onto the journalists. It's absolutely wonderful. It's one of the reasons why I watch uh, MMA, because there are still lots of men fighting um, one another and, um, and they do not care at all about uh, any of this neo-Marxist nonsense that's going on. Send me an email, germwarfare at tntradio. Uh, dot live jump into the live chat my name is germ this is germ warfare the battle of ideas talk that matters for once we just need to do what's best for this damn country and not what's best for the world today's news talk radio tnt my friend simon Roche, welcome back to the trenches how are you yeah i'm well thank you very much jeremy and thank you for having us that is to say sidelanders on your show again we appreciate it did you watch uh, the fight? I didn't. I didn't. I don't have the uh, DSTV. Oh, well, you can find uh, links on the internet. Uh, so I've heard. <laughs> yeah, but I, I hate those things. I can't stand them. I contact my sons from time to time when there's something big on. And I'll ask them, where can I watch it? And they'll always say, oh, there's this, you know, dodgy link here. Don't worry, Dad. It'll be fine. But uh, I, I don't know. Give me the heebie-jeebies. I was just making the point, though, that it's still wonderful to see um, non-neo-Marxist nonsense coming through, at least in a sport, because it's all just been taken over, isn't it? Everything has been taken over. Um, South African cricket players and doubtless other cricket players around the world giving the need to, to Black Lives Matter. I mean, it's like, um, it's like a, a, a theater show, you know, that's uh, some kind of a farce. You, it's yeah. incomprehensible what we've seen in recent years between Colin Kaepernick and um, Brittany Brittany Greer. Is that it, that her name? The um, the, uh, the 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 basketball player from the USA who was bust with marijuana in um, entering Russia, and she was you know exchanged in a prisoner swap, and it was all such a a very noble and heart wrenching thing supposedly. But you scratch a little bit deeper, and this woman hates her own country. Megan Rapinoe, another classic example of somebody who's willing to take the US dollar 
willing to play for the U.S. team and then says that the USA is hateful and playing for America is the worst job in the world. You know, all of this kind of BLM, take the knee, anti-patriotic madness that has swept through the Western world in, in recent years. And as you say, it's lovely to see guys like Dana White. I don't know if you've ever watched his interview in which he describes in detail why it is that he, he sticks up for Donald Trump. And he's quite a man's man, old Dana. But um, he was almost in tears when he went into detail of exactly what Donald Trump did for him just when the organization was absolutely atomized. You know, there was no way that they could bounce back. It was the mm -hmm. end. And lo and behold, Donald Trump came through, gave them a venue, gave them all kinds of support. And as he says, what do you think I'm going to do? I mean, what do you think I'm going to do? And, th and that's an answer that you're not supposed to give these nowadays. You know, you're supposed to blow with the wind, with the zeitgeist, you know, with the spirit of the mm. times. Uh, you're not supposed to, to stick to to true principles anymore. Uh, that's the thing, Simon. I've been trying to work out, and I guess I won't ever know the answer, but I'm going to throw the question at you anyway. What do you think it is about this sort of neo-Marxist um, mindset that seems to spread like a contagion, like a mind virus? It why would people want to go against normality, go against tradition, go against natural order? The best explanation that I've heard is by Professor Edward Dutton. Technically, you, this will be relevant to you as a South African. Um, there's an old uh, European degree level between PhD and uh, professor that was docent, docent. And that's why uh, a Duomini, that's to say a Dutch reformed pastor for, for your international listeners who don't know, South Africa was historically completely dominated by the Dutch reformed Afrikaans language churches. While those, those pastors have DS before they, their name, they were supposed to be, you know, super duper level educated people before they could proselytize uh, in the church. <clears throat> And uh, so Professor Edward Dutton is technically a docent uh, at a university in Finland, British guy, very charming, very charismatic guy, exceedingly intelligent. And he's got a, a video on YouTube that is worth everybody's while to watch. It's called um, Spiteful Mutants. The title might be longer than that, but those are the two key words. Anybody can look it up. And he describes in the most scientific terms why it is that at this point in history, the West is turning on itself. People hate themselves. <coughs> Excuse me. They hate their identities. They hate their cultures. They hate their races because they are the spiteful mutant products of bad uh, uh, genetic uh, marriages, that's to say bad breeding, which in times past wouldn't have made it through childhood. And he demonstrates very, very persuasively how it is that um, the, 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 let's say, the, the majority, for want of a better word, of the, uh, of the left are people who physically and mentally are inferior and, and they wouldn't typically have made it in, in the past. Now, of course, the, the left's argument is 
that uh, the the left tends to be, you know, intellectually superior, but it is an intellectual thing. That's the key. It is intellectual, not intelligence. It's your ability to assimilate knowledge. Any rubbish that's rammed down your throat, you know, let's say, for example, there was an outbreak of some illness, supposedly, you know, if we've received uh, uh, social media videos or something like that of an illness in, in East Asia, people dropping dead in the streets and, and there was some sort of forecast of it spreading all across the world and killing all of us. Uh, it's, it's one thing to fall for that because you don't know. I mean, if you introduced yourself to me as Arthur Normington Smythe, ah, the, hey, would I know that it's not, you know, Arthur Normington Smythe and it's uh, Jeremy Nell. But when I hear your wife call you, uh, your wife call you Jeremy, and I hear your mother call you Jeremy John Jacob Nell, I should begin to suspect that there's something wrong. You know, once the disease hits South Africa, maybe, could be, possibly, and I don't see one single guy drop dead in the middle of the street in my village, then my intelligence has to, uh, you know, take over my intellect. Um, and, and that's what we're faced with. We're faced with people who genuinely believe yeah. that if you put... Uh, if you if you fill a, 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 a whiskey glass with ice and then top it up with water to the brim, that as the ice melts, it'll melt over the side rather than decrease. And similarly, if ice melts in Antarctica, you know, all the Zanzibar is going to get washed away. Um, you know, we're just dealing with people who are sadly, and and as my mother would say, Jeremy, and it, it's, it's a salutary thing to to consider really there, but for the grace of God, go I. I yeah. could be, I could have been born an imbecile. So I have to be, we all have to be very considerate to, to some extent anyway. Um, but the fact is that we're now dealing with a race of imbeciles around us. The, the, the Christian Caucasian peoples of the world have yeah. become genetically corrupted by the benefits of superior education, uh, excess wealth, and everything that comes with it, uh, medical development, you know. Exactly uh, right, uh, Simon, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry for jumping in, but I, it was something that my wife and I spoke about, funny enough, during the COVID era, that the people here, at least in South Africa, uh, being the, the most compliant, were your middle to upper classes white people. Uh, the people who were the least compliant from from my perspective were the black folks they were the ones who who in large numbers rejected the COVID shot but yet around me so many of your middle to upper classes of the white folks the sort of in, the intelligent types the ones who supposedly have high iqs were the ones who bought into it wholesale yeah yeah but it's not iq it's intellect it's that ability yeah. to regurgitate whatsoever rubbish gets rammed down your throat. I mean, the all-time classic example, to my way of thinking anyway, is um, the work of Franz Boatz, um, who was the, the supervisor of Margaret Mead, who pr provided the intellectual foundation for all uh, modern um, uh, gender theory um, from work in, in the Polynesian islands. And this woman came up with just the most phenomenal poppycock in the late 50s, 60s, and early 70s 
completely counterintuitive, completely dark, makes no sense at all. But it gets taught in sociology classes, in anthropology classes, and even in psychology, and to some extent in psychiatry classes across the world. Uh, to this day, people believe these things, um, that there's no difference between the, the genders and that it's all a matter of nurture and, and, and nature isn't involved in it at all. And, and you and I, with our children, observe, there are exceptions, we all know that, observe how boys somehow instinctively, uh, their, their eyes gleam and their faces light up uh, if they see, not even their own, not even if you give them something, a, a little caterpillar, caterpillar earth-moving uh, toy in the far corner of a, of a, of a room uh, during a visit to somebody else's house. You know, some other kid has that toy and there are six little dollies lying there and, and they have no interest with, in them. I've seen this with my sons over and over and over again. And I think I would go so far as to argue that you see it more in young girls than in young boys uh, at, at the risk of saying something that could be incorrect, I'm uh, speaking purely anecdotally, in young boys, um, infant and toddler boys, there's almost a kind of a um, an, an asexuality of a sort, whereas girls kind of lean towards prettiness and earrings and having their hair fiddled with and all of that kind of thing. According to my yeah. observation, a little no, bit I agree. before boys get into that thing of falling in the mud no. and slapping one another and all of the other markers, if you like, Jeremy. But that's exactly right, Simon. That's exactly right. In fact, um, I can't remember now, it was some time ago, but I read a, a study in which toddlers were, were monitored from behind glass, uh, one-way glass, etc. And the boys automatically gravitated towards cars and and building blocks and things and the girls automatically gravitated towards uh dolls and, and that sort of thing it's just the way it is and jordan peterson i know for a fact spoke about this some years ago before he before he went a bit weird but he still spoke about this and he said it's just the natural order of things i've got three sons and and i've been able to to observe that thing a very close relations with them. You know, I have a close father who was there observing every day, morning, noon, and night. Um, and I've recently been working goats uh, in the bamboo mountains uh, between Hofmeyer and Tarkastat, a place I've mentioned to you previously. I've been up there for a whole lot of time, and I've been with my friend Louis and his lovely wife, Marguerite, one of the most capable human beings you'll ever meet in your life. And they have six kids, uh, daughter, uh, I think she's 13, son of 11, son of 10 or 9, uh, daughter of 6, I believe, son of 5, daughter of 3 years old, rough, roughly of that order. <clears throat> the point being that it's ideal to observe the contrasts and contradictions between the genders as they develop. And I've been spending time with them, lots of time. You know, I, I seldom go for a, a day. I, I, I'll usually go for three or four nights, a week, two weeks. And I've been able to see the, these kids develop from the year 2017. 
And over and over and over again, these things are reinforced without the parents um, kind of programming the kids. It's, it's, um, it's an incontrovertible thing, but our minds have been so bent by the bulldust that we've swallowed, um, particularly, but not only, I'm talking, you know, in recent times, uh, since the Frankfurt School uh, left yeah. Europe um, and infiltrated uh, Columbia University and began to, to, to dominate American academic uh, dialectic um, on these kind of these nebulous subjects, these non-engineering, non-scientific, non-mathematical subjects. Um, and, you know, at, at the risk of kind of riding the same old horse, I was very intrigued to recently discover that the world's leading authority on uh, uh, black magic um, has a link. He has a website. He lives in a, a place in Israel. He comes from uh, Missouri, I believe, I think. Missouri in the USA originally lives in Israel, has a website. And um, I've spent many hours listening to, to him speak. And on his website, they have a link to the website um, that is, you know, the, the Frankfurt School website. Obviously, those original guys have all died out now. They're all long dead. But they have a Frankfurt School website. And that Frankfurt School website is represented on that website. And it just goes to, to illustrate this thing. Oh, it's a deep and mysterious gulling of our people. And our people simply refuse to recognize it. You know, that we kind of, we, we have become the one race in the world more than any other race that lives in sentience. Our, our lives are sentient um, and, and divorced from spirituality. And so as far as we're concerned, if it can't be proved by science or if we can't taste it or if we can't purchase it with money, if it's not some kind of tactile, palpable thing, well, then it's questionable. Um, but the reality is that the onslaught upon our people, and it's there in black and white, except that nobody will you know, believe in it or go yeah. and look at it, is a yeah. mystical, spiritual thing. I agree. Okay, Simon, I'll be back with you momentarily. Uh, my name is Jerm. This is TNT. Now, as we move into an election year in US politics at a time when the Western Empire is under attack from within, as if an orchestrated decline is the plan, whilst at the same time the rise of BRICS nations represents a rise of a new multipolar order. Institutions that have controlled the world are at last being questioned for their behaviour and their failures. Absolute power corrupts absolutely, and the proof shall set us free. Those two statements sit at opposite ends of the zeitgeist in a world that is filled with death, destruction, deceit, and a wholesale unwillingness to hold anyone in power to account, except for anyone who takes power against the ruling elite, of course. And then we have seen how that system works. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk. TNT. Hi. I'm your retirement fear. 
But don't be scared. You're still in pre-tirement. Pre-tirement? Does that mean I have more time to plan? Precisely. Here, this is pretirement.org. Huh. Retirement savings options? <laughs> Potential tax breaks. Yep. Ooh. Oh, I could build up savings for my side hustle. This isn't scary. I'm doing it. You got this. Visit thisispretirement.org for free resources to help you customize your action plan. Well, I want to say this, and I'm going to say it just once. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Uh, Simon, how does 2024 appear to you? I think it'll be one of the darkest years in in history. Notwithstanding, if you were at the epicenter of the Nagasaki blast, you know, there are exceptions to all things, but on average, I think it'll be one of the darkest years in history. <laughs> Why? Because the super elites have revealed themselves in recent years to be very reliable predictors of what's going to happen next. And Davos Radio, just to give a, a, a somewhat random example, Davos Radio, you can't make this stuff up, honestly. Davos Radio reported a uh, week before last that we don't know what disease X is. I'm, I'm just quoting a brief portion of the entire thing, obviously. We don't know what disease X is, but we know that it's out there and that it's coming. So... Apparently, uh, we're about to be assailed by a disease that's going to wipe us all out. And the godfather, well, I shouldn't say godfather, the devil himself, Klaus Schwab, insists in contradistinction that the next thing that's going to whack us is a cyber pandemic. Now, you can imagine if, if there's another engineered pandemic that sweeps across the world, but this one is lethal, you know, beyond any sort of dispute. Mm. And... Um, then on top of that, or in parallel with that, you know, uh, we also have a global cyber crash and fuel can't be refined and it can't be pumped and you can't gain access to your funds and blah, blah, blah. You can't buy food. Uh, then, then we're in for an absolute hiding. And, you know, again, to give a, a slightly almost trivial example, but it just says so much to me, to you and me as little old South Africans, that advertisement of last week, Monday, I've lost a bit of track of days from being up in the mountain. You know what the day and the date and the time is. You just go by the sun and how much work there is to do with the animals. But I believe it was last week, Monday, that the Woolworths chain store of South Africa published an advertisement in the mainstream media saying that it would no longer accept cash. Uh, yes. And there was a huge you know, drama about it, everybody ruffled feathers, and they published a correction. The next day, say, oopsie, sorry, our mistake. It was a typographical error. In fact, we will only no longer be accepting cash at our coffee shops, which was not kind of a reduction of the reality of the thing. It was a reinforcement of it. You know, it was like kind of, I, I, I'm, try, I'm struggling to think of a metaphor, but the fact that they came back and said, we are absolutely, yes, going to do it, just not in the way that we said. That was a slip of the tongue. 
you know, redoubled the thing, really. So I think we're in, uh, in for a hiding this year, Jeremy. I really, really think that it's going to be rough. And not to uh, uh, extrapolate this thing too far, but I set a fair amount of store by Martin Armstrong Socrates' computer on the basis of its track record. And I'm sure I must have mentioned to you that about six months ago, he tried to, to trick it. Uh, he asked it when World War Three would begin. Now, of course, the Socrates computer, for those of your uh, viewers who don't know, is uh, famous, is renowned for predicting all sorts of things from floods to droughts to stock market movements to you name it. And it said to him January 2025 or January 2026, which is a very peculiar answer. Apparently, I don't know. I've never sat alongside him asking it questions, but apparently very unusual answer. So he changed the inputs. He said, well, what if, uh, you know, the president of the United States sprains his ankle and uh, King Charles falls off a balcony and there's a flood in Bangladesh and uh, two ships crash in the Suez Canal? Then what? Then when would it be? And the computer, no matter how he changed the inputs, insisted that World War Three, apparently a subject he'd never broached with it previously, would begin either in January 2025 or January 2026. And now we have the, the, the Swedish uh, bigwig and the NATO chappy, I can't remember his name, uh, talking about everybody must get torches with batteries immediately and, and water. Not to make too much of these things, but in my recent experience, when all of the elites start talking about these things and saying that they're on the horizon and they're coming now, that's reason enough to believe that even if just 25% of those threats is fully realized, given what they are, what, what those threats are, as we've just discussed it, only 25% of them are manifest. We are going to be buckled this year. Absolutely buckled. Yeah. We're going to be tied up like a pretzel. But don't you think it's a blessing in disguise when they openly tell us their plans and agendas? Well, you and me, yes, but sadly, for the vast majority, no. You know, you spoke earlier about the the elites of uh, white, you know, middle class suburban whites in South mm. Africa uh, taking the jab. Contrary wise. The largest ethnic population or the ethnic population in the world that had the poorest response, the poorest uptake of the jab was Afrikaners, which is a largely rural, not exclusively, but largely rural population in South Africa. So you had this huge contrast between the people in my village, nobody of whom took the, the thing, nobody wore a mask and nobody cared. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the, the people like, God bless them my mother and the mothers of my children who did take the jab and all of whom have been critically ill um, uh, 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 in the intervening uh, three years. So there are those people who will prosper by it. That's to say you and people like you. And then there are other people who will fall for whatever it is all over again. You will not convince them to hide 3,000 rand under their mattresses uh, for emergencies in the event that that the, there's a, the, a you know a cyber pandemic, it's just it, it, they won't do it, even though it would be easier for them than for say me. You know, I work for a charity, whatever. I don't have a super abundance of cash, 
Um, but those guys living in the cities, people whom I love very much, uh, could do it a little bit more easily, but they simply won't. So, yeah, I think I think we're going to see an action replay of 2020 and 2021 in 2020. Do you not think that a lot of people, Simon, have also learnt from what's just occurred? Young Jeremy... A, a woman I know very well and love, have loved for many years. Uh, I mention that because it's pertinent to whether I'm disparaging her or not. <laughs> Had to <laughs> suffer a hysterectomy before she stopped sneering and snickering and scoffing at this stuff. They don't learn easily, Jeremy. They don't learn easy. Mm. Yeah, it's hard. I know that. But, yeah, yeah, it is. I know that. I know that there are. I mean, there is definitely a, a depopulation agenda. So, you know, I think that. I think that there are. Well, there we go. There's there's an interesting segue there because depopulation is, I guess, a nicer way of saying genocide. Uh, it's just a more politically correct, slightly more savory way of saying it. But essentially, what those elites to whom you were earlier referring. Essentially, what they want is a global genocide. They want to bring down populations all over the place, and they'll do it through uh, disease X, which is more of a fear campaign than a real thing. Uh, and of course, um, cyber attacks, you know, to disconnect people from reality, to, to keep the perpetual fear going, because that's a great way to control people. You know, when people are in fear, they become very easily um, influenced. And uh, and yes. of course, and then of course, physical genocide, like through wars, like we're seeing in the Middle East, uh, uh, attacking farmers, like we're seeing in South Africa, uh, um, and of course, trying to destabilize um, the agricultural flow. Because I mean, when when you go for the heart of of popul of the of, of population growth, which is food, you have a you you have a lot of people under your thumb. Yeah, you you're dead right, Jeremy. Um, but they don't see it. They simply don't see it. You, there's no talking to them. Uh, and I think there's some kind of a great um, uh, a lotering. What is the uh, uh, a smelting? Uh, I'm struggling to, to think of the right word in English. But a winnowing. A winnowing is, is not the right word. But there's a winnowing that, that is taking place in the world. Um, there's a kind of a separation of those who are willing to see the signs of the times around them and those who will only listen to the voice of authority, mm. no matter mm. what. Um, no matter how many times uh, they, they're harmed by it, they keep going back to it. You know, uh, there are people in, in South Africa, white people, who still refuse to utter uh, deprecations of the new South Africa rainbow nation, notwithstanding that after 30 years, almost 30 years, in April it'll be 30 years of multiracial democracy, we've seen everything be harmed. Everything. There's no, no good has come out of the new South Africa rainbow nation, except for some idealistic stuff, which is very, very important to many people. And it may have been the most important thing in my life to me if I had been black. 
I'm not uh, uh, disparaging uh, those ideals, but I'm saying that in the material, in the physical, not yeah. one single good thing has come out of the new South Africa rainbow nation, not in the judiciary, not in crime, not in gender-based violence, particularly not in housing, schooling, uh, infrastructure, the railways, electricity, as you know well, uh, nothing, zero. Yet there are the, the same people who will who did believe that COVID was deadly, even when they weren't seeing people dropping dead in the streets, as they had seen apparently people dropping dead in the streets, videos coming out from China in December 2019, January 2020, that great marketing and advertising campaign that prepared the world for this onslaught. They didn't see it happen in front of them, and yet they continued to believe. Then <clears throat> they believed again in, in the vaccinations, and they still believe in the vaccinations, and they believe in the new South Africa rainbow nation, and they believe that Barack Obama must have been a nice guy because the Nobel Committee gave him a prize. Hello, a peace prize. Jeremy. <laughs> you know? A peace prize. A peace, a peace prize. prize. And then what did he do? And then what did he do after that? <laughs> he authorized he, massive amounts strikes, of drone attacks. <laughs> more strikes on civilians than... Uh, the three previous presidents going back to to the Gulf War, nineteen ninety one. Yeah, I think Simon in 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 twenty sixteen, just twenty sixteen alone, I think Obama authorized twenty six thousand attacks, uh, and um, and that was just in the Middle East. And I think yeah. when I say attacks, I mean I mean bombings, uh, shellings, and and yeah. also he 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 increased Bush's drone. Uh, war, I think, by something like ten times. Yeah, yeah. This it's, is the man who won the peace prize. Yeah, yeah, and and they get suckered by it. They believe it every time. They, mm. they, you know, there's nothing you can do. I've been chatting to people in recent months. I've been forced to. I've been obliged to hold these conversations by virtue of my my role in Saitlander's organization. Uh, to hold conversations about Israel. And when I tell people that after phenomenal pressure, 40 years of pressure, the, the uh, uh, Red Cross finally, reluctantly, the, the entity that has indisputably the only perfect record of what happened in World War II as far as the uh, camps and what have you concerned, they were finally, they were willing to, to increase the number of deaths in concentration camps and related circumstances uh, in their records to 293,081, if I'm not mistaken. You tell them that and their faces glaze over. Yeah. It's not enough for them, you know, because it's six million. It just is. Yeah. The TV said so. Anthony yeah. Fauci said so. Bill Clinton said so. My my parish priest said so. The, yeah. The, you know, uh, these people will believe anything. There's is, nothing they won't believe. This is a big problem that I'm having uh, just uh, as a sort of uh, meta, as a meta tug of war within myself is 
I'm trying to figure out, Simon, why it is that people refuse to allow themselves to be challenged on certain ideas. They, and I, I think it's a comfort thing. I think people become comfortable with an idea that they've had for most of their life. And it's just too much to have that rug pulled out from under them. It doesn't matter what, what the idea is. It's just the fact that it's too uncomfortable. Yeah. All right. Whatever, Jeremy. Whatever. It's too uncomfortable. The little... Don't get me started, Jeremy. You know, uncomfortable is how my grandparents grew up. They, mm. they, they... They were the children of Irish immigrants, and they literally this the shack, for one reason another and another was not torn down. And in my lifetime, I I walked past that shack 150 times. They grew up in a corrugated iron, one room shack without electricity and running water. That's tough. Yeah. I'm enough of hearing about how difficult life is. My first job, I earned seven dollars fifty for a 12-hour shift with one half-an-hour break, one sandwich, white bread sandwich, and one Coca-Cola. 12 hours, 12 hours, 12 hours, 12 hours, 12 hours. My second job, I earned, uh, I'm trying to do the maths, $50 a month. Okay, it's 30 years ago. But, you know, we can do the inflation conversation. I can uh, do the mental arithmetic. Mm. It wasn't a lot of money. Then or now. $50 a month, and I had to work seven days a week. It, you, you know, it's so tough. It's so difficult. Yeah, my angel heart, yeah. my love pie, my little papa doom. I get it. All right, fine. No, no, the excuses have been used up, Jeremy. Um, yeah. These people whine and whinge and moan about themselves as if they were the first people in the world to know suffering. When in fact, the contrary is the case. They are the first people in the history of the world not to really know suffering. Yeah. <clears throat> you, um, you know, the, the, the six-day work week was implemented in Western Europe after World War I. I beg your pardon, sorry, not the six-day work week, the five-and-a-half-day work week. The five-and-a-half-day work week. So Sundays in Christianity had always been a day off since forever. All through Victorian times, the Industrial Revolution, etc., etc. If you're working in a in a coal mine or in a in a, a, a linen factory in Manchester, you would get Sunday off. The only reason why Saturday afternoons were given off in Europe, not in the slave plantations of the Congo. In Europe, a hundred years ago, 105, 106 years ago, for the very first time, four generations ago, for the first time in history, was because there was a fear that the soldiers returning from World War, World War I were so competent and capable, strong, fit, healthy men who spent five years learning how to kill, that if communism had gotten hold of them, they would be able to top, topple Western European governments. So there was kind of a consensus. And over a very short span of time, one uh, European state after the other said, all right, you can have Saturday afternoons off too. We'll be nice to you. 
just don't go with those communists and form bands of brigands and topple the government. In You know, people have this, this misconception that white people have had it good since forever. No. <laughs> that, that, you know, that we, never had, <laughs> that we never had death by appendicitis. Yeah. Every white child that got appendicitis died up until mm. 70, 80, 85 years ago. Boom, yeah. done, end of story. Um, no, I'm enough of hearing about how difficult it is to open my mind to this and how difficult it is to understand that and how difficult the next thing. Yes, it's overwhelming. Yes, it's difficult. No two ways about it, but your children's lives are at stake. Our culture is at stake. Our race is at stake. Can you not see it? Can you not see that the rapine of the world over the past five years has been focused upon the West, upon conservative Caucasian Christianity? We are fighting for the soul of thousands of years of culture and history and civilization, the likes of which has never, ever, ever existed. And always it's the same excuse. It's too late. It's too early. It's too hard. I don't know. I can't. Uh-uh, enough already. Simon Roche, don't go anywhere. My name is Jerm. This is TNT. The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy. The animals haven't eaten in a day, two days. They haven't drank anything. They're cold, they're dehydrated. As soon as we started our descent, everywhere I could see was mud. Just absolutely mud. You know, the country has been prolonged for drought so long. It was like a tinderbox waiting to go up. Okay, very heavy. Each of us wants to be part of the solution. And we can be. Remember that there's good happening right now. At home. All right, we were able to get into the unit and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... <laughs> okay. And around the world. For any animal in any disaster. So let's focus on that, right? Be part of the solution. One rescue at a time. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. Right, I've got cancer. I've been trying to tell the rest of you, but no one's listening. And I don't just mean you, ears, eyes. Would you look in the damn toilet for once? Hands, roll those sleeves and take a sample. And legs, trot off to the doctor to get me looked at. Because bowel cancer can be successfully treated when detected early. Now look who's finally woken up. You're listening to Germ Warfare with Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yeah, just during the break now, Simon, I was telling Alex that uh, when I was in Sydney, okay, sure, it was a few years back now, uh, there were a lot of Asians. It was very multicultural. Yes. And I don't, have, I don't have a particular issue with that, but, you know, I don't think it's particularly um, good if you're trying to preserve a particular cultural heritage, whatever. I mean, Japan and China, these these countries, these nations like to preserve and conserve uh, thousands of years worth of, of heritage. When my wife and I were in Amsterdam a few months ago, it was extremely international. Um, and in fact, I got into we got into an Uber and the gentleman driving the car couldn't speak English. And he showed me his phone and he had Google Maps open and it was in Arabic. I couldn't read his phone. I couldn't read the map and I didn't know what he was saying. And this was in Amsterdam. 
Wow. Wow. I, I think we're doomed. Jeremy, I don't see how it can be recovered. I don't see how uh, Western Europe can be rescued, just as I don't see how Canada and the USA can be rescued. Not to exaggerate this thing too much, you know, not to overdo it, but <clears throat> there are elements to the crisis in the USA. And I use the USA to illustrate the, the principle because the, the crisis of the West as manifest in the USA is less than in Canada and in Western Europe. I think we can fairly safely say that. So let's use the most moderate example. Uh, let's not engage in hyperbole. But even in the USA, the chances of them uh, turning back the clock to the day before Roe versus Wade at a federal level, are, or at the level of, let's say, every state, you know, getting some kind of homogeneity on that, uh, are nil. The chances of them getting rid of all of the, the immigrants are nil. The chances of them um, undoing gay marriage, which you may recall when it was when it came in not very long ago, 12, 14 years ago, was a phenomenal sea change in the culture of that country. The chances of that being undone are zero. We all now, even myself, treat it as a sort of a fait accompli. It is what it is, you know. I just, I don't actively oppose it anymore, not in my mind or my, my spirit, in principle, yes, but not as something that I think I should tackle because, golly gee, I think I stand a chance of winning. What am I going to do? How on earth are you going to dissolve all of those marriages? So as a symptom, as an illustration, I think that the West is very much too far gone to be yeah. rescued. I, I, wonder, I wonder if people were having the same conversation when the Roman Empire <laughs> was, was decelerating. <laughs> they were, because in 476 AD, when the first non-Roman became an emperor of Rome, the, the expression the collapse of Rome was not generated by outsiders or subsequent scholars. It was written by an observer, you know, a, a contemporary yeah. observer said, this is the collapse of Rome. <clears throat> now that we cannot even generate our own emperors from within, now that we have become so weak, so dominated by outside forces, really it's overs, cadovers for us. So they were holding precisely that conversation. Very interesting that, that you should say that, Jeremy. Well, I mean, clearly the current empire is also imploding. Here's the thing. People always talk about the implosion of the West. It absolutely is imploding, but it's not something that's happening uh, literally in a space of one year. It takes a few years, maybe a few generations, but it is imploding and it doesn't seem to be turning the other way as you've, I think, c correctly pointed out. Yeah, well, these things stutter on. I mean, the the um, I hope I don't mess this up. Uh, what was the worst? The historians agree that the worst year in the history of the world was 536 AD, although some say 535. But it's a bit of a misunderstanding about the cause and the effect. It's, it's the the year 536 AD, and then the the plague of Justinian occurred in 545, I, I believe. Um, and so the emperor Justinian and those events and the, you know, what was going on in the Roman Empire, which come across as to some extent vital, except that they were destroyed by the, the effects of the volcano and, um, uh, and then the, uh, 
And then the, the, the rat plague, or, the, or more correctly, the flea plague on the rats. And so, yeah, um, it, it, this, it, this collapse is occurring. There are no two ways about it. Come on, we're clearly not on the, on the wax. We're on the wane. Um, yeah, and, and the thing also I want to throw in, sorry for, for cutting in there, mm -hmm. Simon, but something that my wife and I were driving in the car the other day, and she asked a really good question. And she said, do you think a lot of this collapse is correlated to what appears to be the rise in atheism. I think she's absolutely on point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Globpasha had, uh, which is not to say that Globpasha is always right about everything, but Globpasha, uh, you know, British potentate in Palestine and the Levant a hundred years ago, has said that there's six phases to every civilization. There's pioneering, and that comes out of some some tribe or some clan or some group somewhere will have a moment in which there's a lot of strength, a lot of testosterone, a lot of virility, a lot of product productivity, and they will set out to look for new opportunities. They'll pioneer, and in pioneering, they will find opportunities for conquest. Wherever you find opportunities for conquest, so you find weaker guys, you knock them over the head, you dominate them, you will find opportunities for commerce. <clears throat> You'll trade, they'll have something you want, you'll have something they want. Trade invariably, commerce I should say, invariably leads to uh, wealth. Wealth leads to more time on your hands and that leads to intellectualism. So you've got pioneering, conquest, commerce, wealth or affluence I think is the word that he actually used intellectualism you've got time on your hands you can read books write pretty poems uh watch television series engage in strange ideas <clears throat> needless to say many of the terrible things uh that our children are exposed to today are an expression of that and that leads to decadence you end up not yes. being able to recover the spirit for work and, and degeneracy and exactly Exactly. Yes. And, and we're in yes. that phase now. We've passed the yeah. intellectual phase. I mean, the exactly. intellectual phase of, of Western civilization as a, as a big thing, mm. not, not the USA as an empire, for instance, or, or Britain or France or but that's, Holland or whatever. That's why, but, that's, why, but, that's yeah. why values matter, Simon. Values and principles. See, the problem that I've come to realize, um, and I don't know how to put it into words, but it's this, this degeneracy creep. So over time, little bits and pieces of what is otherwise good and wholesome and and correct or whatever gets chipped away you know uh, 20 years ago we didn't talk about transgenderism 20 years from now it'll be part of our lives in some way or form and we will no longer be opposed to it because it's just there it's it's it creeps every everything creeps if, if that makes sense i don't know I, I don't know how to express it uh i must think about this but i think you know where i'm going you're dead right, Jeremy. I gave a speech in the USA when I was there recently for St. Launders. Uh, I'm, I'm an employee. I'm a, I work for St. Launders. So when I was touring, I was there for work. Uh, I gave a speech in which I uh, said, you guys, and this is really characteristic of the USA. I'm sorry to say it, but Americans, I mean, to a man, struggle with the idea that it's going to get even very much worse. And I said to them, by your own standards, you're wrong. 
15 years ago, the idea of LGBTQ being taught in, in your children's classrooms was absolutely was beyond the pale. Now it is being taught to your children. Yeah, it's normal. So I say to you that it's realistic that 10 years from now, it may be, you're going to say it's preposterous. I'm the one man in this room who will not say that it's preposterous because I've seen what your society has done to itself in my lifetime. You Americans are going to be exposed to a phenomenon whereby the, the people who control you, the super elites that control you, the internationalists, the people without a country who've taken over your country, those people using the, the black magic in their, in their books that we all know are going to tell you that your 13-year-olds are not allowed to make a gender identity decision until they've been exposed to both options. And these people looked at me as if I was the worst form of perversity that ever existed because their minds were working, you know. I, I gave a graphic description of, that's right, your kids are all going to have to at some point bend over their yeah. school desks and exper experience this thing. And you're disgusted with me but you have no sense of perspective on how far your society has fallen just in a few years. In my lifetime, mm. John Wayne was what the USA was. Dallas or whatever, you know, now you've got guys whipping out their, their, uh, their, their genitals in front of little kitties and rubbing their rectums in children's faces on video. Yeah, it's crazy, Simon. Listen, Simon, we're going to have to uh, uh, catch up <laughs> in two weeks time when you, when you come back uh, but look at the time now it's against us so let's quickly promo uh, how can I uh, follow you keep up with you etc uh, Jeremy uh, saitlanders.org is our organization's website people are welcome to visit it if they would like to support us which is very important to us uh, there are a number of ways that they can donate I beg your pardon please spell it oh S-U-I-D Landers S-U-I-D Landers.org Visit the website, make a donation We appreciate the help And Jeremy, thank you very, very much Simon Roche It is always a pleasure chatting to you, my friend And I, I promise you I'm going to take up your offer to go hunting with you Soon <laughs> Look forward to it very much <laughs> Alright, Simon Roche Goodbye. Thank you for joining me God bless Cheers, you, Jeremy. Simon yeah, you too, my friend. I'll catch you in two weeks' time. Uh, send me an email, jimwarfare at tntradio.live. I want to remind you why I'm in a good mood. Drikas Duplessis is now the middleweight UFC world champion. He beat um, the American Sean Strickland, who is also fantastic. Make no mistake. It was a great fight. Go onto YouTube. Go and watch it. It's only 25 minutes long because they fought five rounds. What a great fight. Alex, I don't know if you watch MMA. But this was a good fight, and uh, it was it was just it was just so good seeing how how Drikus went in the first three rounds. He didn't look like he was going to win. Uh, Sean definitely appeared to have had the upper hand. Excuse the pun. And um, and then after round three, I don't know. Drikus just changed his whole strategy, and just <laughs> it was just great to watch. His, his nickname is Still Knox. Stolnox, what a pleasure that, that fight was. Send me an email, germwarfare at tntradio.live. Tomorrow, I have the co-founder of Wikipedia joining me on TNT. But for now, on behalf of Joel, Alex, and myself, my name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas.